Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by lynda.com. Learn what you want, when you want, with access to thousands of high-quality, easy-to-follow video tutorials, including many about photography. For seven days of free, unlimited, in-depth courses, visit lynda.com slash twip. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution built for small business owners just like you who want to skip the headache at tax time. For a limited time, try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, visit GetFreshBooks.com now and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. This week on TWIP, Leica jumps into the mirrorless pool, Lytro announces the ILM, a photographer pleads guilty for violating the Endangered Species Act, plus our listener Q&A and our picks of the week. It's Wednesday, April 30th, 2014, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. Frederick Van Johnson is visiting the Hobbits with Trey Radcliffe in New Zealand. So I'm your guest host today, Valérie Jardin, and this is episode 358 of This Week in Photo. Joining me to discuss the topics of the week and more are Joseph Lonashki and Silarina. Welcome back to you both. So, well, Sil, I'm really excited to host the show with you for the first time. How have you been? I've been great, and it's a pleasure to vicariously meet you through the uh, magic of the internet. <laughs> True. Feels like I, I've known you for a long time, too, so it's kind of cool. Well, thank you. So what have you been up to, teaching those, those kids? I've been teaching. <laughs> I survived another month since I've been on the show as a full-time um, high school photo and art teacher, although we did have a week off for Easter break, which was uh, a joyful respite for everyone concerned. Um, and it's, I guess, we'll break the story here on TWIP. I have just agreed to do the second edition of my Speedlighter's Handbook. My big book on Canon Flash is going to be updated. I actually started work on it last week, and I'm supposed to get it done by the time the new school year starts, so say September 1, wow. which means it'll publish like October, November. Peach Pit Press is going to publish it again. And as much as I dread doing the work, I'm really excited about the update to the book because, of course, in the four years since the first one was done, Canon came out with radio-based speed lighting gear, and there's a lot of great new modifiers, and I've got a head full of new techniques and shoots that I want to share with people. So pretty excited. My summer vacation just <laughs> evaporated. I was going to say, you're not going to have much of a break. <laughs> Are you going on a trip sometime in between? or? Uh, well, I will say this. Nobody will cry for me. I have three week-long workshops this summer. Um, June, I'll be up at Rocky Mountain School of Photography. July, I'll be back in Santa Fe at Santa Fe Photographic Workshops. And then in August, I'll return to main media workshops for my Canon Speedlights Demystified Workshop. So, you know, they're working vacations, one and all, but that's the way I love it. Just kind of go, 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 and um, keep it fun all the way. That's right. Otherwise, what would you do with all that time, three months off? 
<laughs> I don't know. Maybe still grade papers that I haven't graded. <laughs> oh, funny. So you're going back to the school in the fall and everything. Absolutely. So it was a, yeah. a good enough experience. That no, it's, it's yeah, it's been a roller coaster. As anybody who has, um, it's one thing to like be a parent of teenagers. It's another <laughs> to voluntarily step into the ring with them for eight hours each day at school. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's been it's been really rewarding. Uh, you know, I made a jillion mistakes. I won't make those mistakes again. I'll make newer and bigger mistakes next year. Yeah. But I've got. Um, so I've got an advanced photography class that I've designed that is just going to be fabulous. I've got two sections right now of digital photography, and it's really been interesting to sort out like how this generation of kids who's never, ever shot film, I mean, it's truly digital because that's all they've known. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be really great to think of, oh, like film-based photography is now considered to be an advanced technique. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. It's fun. And it's, I, I've, I have a high schooler and I've volunteered at the high school doing some presentations about street photography and whatnot. And, and, um, and I've taken them on photo walks too. And it's just amazing how some, some of them are so naturally talented. And that right. just blows my mind every time. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of middle ground. The kiddos no. either like totally love it or they just don't even want to be there. And yep. there's not a lot of kids, as try, try as I might, to bring them across the chasm from not wanting to be there to be invigorated. Uh, there's not a lot of middle ground. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, that's great. Um, this yeah. is really exciting. Uh, Joseph, what's uh, what's new with you? I've, I've talked to you just a few weeks ago. so It does seem that way. It was quite recent. And still, I can't believe it's been four years, come on, since your book came out. Has it really? Yeah, it was... <laughs> It published in December of 2010. So all of 2009 and a good chunk of 2010, (laughs) I was in Speedlighter's Hell doing that book the first time. But the good news is, of course, as a second edition, I only have to like update and then add some, you know, new chapters. I don't have to reinvent everything from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. That's very cool. So uh, for me, what have I been up to? Uh, well, not a whole lot different than the last week. I guess the the big thing, I don't even know actually if I'm supposed to say this or not, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. I'm doing another a couple of workshops for lynda.com. So expanding on the very popular Photo 101 videos that I did, we're going to be doing a new series of them. and We're recording two of them starting next week. So that's a really big, exciting project. So can't wait to get started on that. Fun. So now wait. So you, it's, you do like... A live workshop that's going to be turned into a video exactly. for the library. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So I did a. It's kind of a bit of history there, but I did a photography 101. It actually started as an ebook. It was a uh, getting the most out of your Canon camera ebook that kind of expanded and grew, and then turned that into a video, and that became a photo 101 video, not just about Canon, but you know any camera. And it was really a basics of photography, and that was for a company called Video to Brain. Video to Brain. With their U.S. market was acquired by Lynda.com, I guess a year and a half or so ago, maybe two years ago, or a year and a half. And that video has become very, very popular on Lynda.com. And so we've been talking for quite some time about expanding that and expanding the Photo 101 series. And so I'll be doing a Photo 101 macro and Photo 101 low light photography workshop. And those are the first two. And we're going to keep on doing them. We're going to do a bunch of them because uh, they're, they're great, successful, and a lot of fun. So fun. we start well, recording love- next week. Awesome. I'd love to do one on street photography. Yeah. Oh, there's really so cool. many topics you yeah. can do. It's really, yeah. yeah, it really opens up. It's 
great. Cool. Um, And for me, well, it's actually been the most exciting and one of the busiest months ever and it's ending today um <laughs> I, I was uh i was teaching a new york new york city street photography workshop i was co-leading it with james mayer who's a new yorker and we had a blast it was a very successful weekend workshop it was so much fun that we decided to add another one uh in october so we just launched that this week the first one sold out so fast so we figured okay we can probably squeeze one map one more in and and I want to say hi to uh, all the TWIP listeners that were on that were on this New York street photography workshop um, uh, several of them are avid listeners and then like a few hours after I landed back to Minneapolis I was called in to be on the beta team at the Arcanum which is the online academy that Trey Radcliffe, Radcliffe um, designed and launched or it's not really launched yet, but we're in, in beta. So I uh, quickly, well, actually it took me two days to select 20 apprentices for my cohort for street photography among hundreds and hundreds of of applicants just for street photography. And there are thousands of applicants for wow. other genres. So just the process was tedious, but it's just been so exciting. Now it's third week um, and um, it's just it's just been, there's so much energy and it's just been really fun. Quite time consuming, but super fun. So um, say hi to my Arcanum uh, apprentices as well. So it, it's, uh, it's been nonstop. I mean, I'm working 12 hour days, seven days a week right now uh, and heading out to Chicago on Friday to, um, to teach a street photography workshop there. So uh, it's actually going to be a kind of a nice break <laughs> it's awesome. work but yeah so it, it's fun so uh new york city if anybody's interested it just launched there are people signing up already and it's going to be a small group at the uh, last weekend in october and all the details are on my website and i think new york for any photographer is a life-changing experience and especially for a street photographer i'm, I'm i was just blown away by the opportunity so i can't wait to go again so that should coincide with Photo Plus Expo, right? Oh, does it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know I'm going to be in France during um, um, the big German show. So I may try to go there before my workshop in Normandy, um, the one in, in Germany. I believe it's that weekend. I'm trying to look it up, but Uh-oh. apparently the Photo Plus Expo website is down right now, which is great. <laughs> but um, in some cached page, I do see a reference to 30th of October... Thursday the 30th through Saturday the 1st of November 2014. Uh, no, so. so we're just the weekend before, which is great. So people can ah, come on our workshop and perfect. then they can stay for the show. There we go. There I have a whole go. week planned for them. Mm, I may have to sign perfect. up then. Mm. <laughs> okay, well, before we jump into the show, we would like to thank our first sponsor for this episode of TWIP, and that is Squarespace. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. And remember, the new Squarespace metric app for iPhone and iPad allows you to check site stats like page views, unique visitors, and social media follows. And with the blog app, you can make text updates, tap and drag images to change layouts, and monitor comments on the go. 
You can start a free trial. You don't need a credit card. You can start building your website today. Then when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just make sure to use the offer code TWIP, that's T-W-I-P, to get a full 10% off and to show your support for this week in photo. And we'd like to thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website. Our first story for this evening is about Leica. Leica announces the new Leica T mirrorless. The mirrorless market continues to get more crowded and the latest edition is Leica who announced their first mirrorless body, the Leica T. So this new stylish body is molded from a single piece of aluminum and each body is hand polished for 45 minutes before the electronics are put into it. So it's very minimalist, very clean design, very sleek. There are only a couple of buttons. Um, so it doesn't have that retro look that we're used to, uh, but it's very, very sleek. Um, and the, the marketing department over at Leica has produced what they are claiming is the most boring commercial ever. And that totally cracked me up because well, I don't have the luxury of sitting for 45 minutes watching an ad, but I did watch quite a few minutes of it and, and throughout the, the ad. It's a 45 minute ad showing the entire process of the hand polishing of the Leica uh, camera. And it's just intended to demonst demonst demonstrate, sorry, I can't speak English tonight, uh, <laughs> demonstrate the meticulous attention to detail that, the, that they put into building their cameras. Um, did any one of you watch the whole thing or a little bit of it? I just thought that was hilarious. I got about 45 seconds in and thought, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, I, did you watch some of it, Sil? No, you kind of get the idea pretty pretty quick. It was <laughs> interesting to see on uh, Petapixel. They very kindly said, hey, just you know, watch the first couple of minutes, then, then jump. jump ahead to 20 minutes and watch for a while, you know, and and then skip to the 43-minute mark. I didn't make that third jump in space. Well, but. I did, thinking there was something exciting. But yeah. there wasn't. It was you the set same the camera guy, down. The same guy polishing that camera. And I think that was actually pretty clever. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a way to get across the fact that their the cameras are not made by robots. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So, um, so what do you think about the entry into the mirrorless world? Is that a surprise? Do you think that's kind of a, a normal thing? or No, I, th I think mirrorless is the future, and anybody who wants to be a camera maker is going to have to jump in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you may be late to the party, but you still want to be at the party eventually. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm not a Leica fan because I don't have a Leica wallet. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think I would be if, you know, I'd say like if somebody rang the doorbell and there was a little basket out there with one of these in it, I'd certainly give it a good home. Um, I, you know, I have to say I like the look of it. I like the styling. I like the the minimalist, um, you know, at Petapixel again, referred to it as kind of Apple-esque. Um, I think that's the future for cameras. You know, we don't need 58 exposure control settings. We need like three really versatile options. And, and easy to get to. Buttons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that part intrigued me. I looked at it. I mean, there's, you know, there's a reason the iPhone is the number one camera in the world. It's because of the user interface. And when camera manufacturers, hello, Canon, are you listening? Hmm. When camera manufacturers pay attention to that user interface to the user experience and design products going forward around that experience and with that experience in mind 
then they're going to have some pretty exciting things. And I think that's one thing, of course, you know, just looking online, I haven't had a chance to fondle one of these. But um, looking online, it certainly seems that this camera is built with that kind of minimal, um, you know, elegant Euro styling in mind. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Joseph? Well, I'm going to take a slightly different tack on it. I, it is beautiful. There's no question about it. It's a gorgeous piece of hardware. However, when it comes to cameras, you need to be able to use it and not just look at it. And the minimalistic quality to this, virtually no buttons, couple of recessed dials, to me it doesn't seem like the kind of camera that I'm going to be able to easily operate when it's up to my face and not having to pull it down and figure out, you know, look, touch the LCD and navigate through buttons. I like dials. I like buttons and dials that I can push from muscle memory and not have to take the camera away from my face to change any setting. So, you know, I'm saying that without having used it and perhaps I'm being a bit judgmental about it, but it doesn't seem to me that this is the kind of camera that once you really get to know, you can do everything without looking at the camera itself. And I don't know how comfortable it's going to be to hold. I mean, let's face it, there's not exactly the greatest ergonomics on this thing. And we like cameras that have all the right neurals and dips and so on for your thumb and forefingers and everything else. So you can hold the thing properly. Yeah, that's true. I, I thought of that too because I have um, the Fuji X100S and ergonomically it's not comfortable. Actually, you can buy all those accessories to make it more comfortable to hold. Um, and um, and I thought the same thing when I saw this one. It doesn't really have any kind of a grip or anything and, and it's pretty small, but it does look good. To me, it doesn't have the Leica look. It, it, you know, it doesn't have the retro look that I If I buy a Leica, I want it to look like a Leica. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I don't want it to look like a an iPhone. I mean, <laughs> an Apple camera. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but it doesn't have the Leica look. Yeah. So if I was to buy one, I would probably buy more of a traditional look. But uh, no, I think them going into the mirrorless world is this is the smart thing to do now. Um, and it's priced, um, you know, similar to the Fuji uh, below the $2,000 mark. So um, I think this is going to be a new new market for them for sure. Well, that's the body. You still got to pay a couple grand for every lens. So that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got a point there. So it is a Leica after all, right? Yeah, you know, like yeah. a price tag. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you have to pay for yeah. that uh, little red logo. But yeah, mm. but so. Joseph is is a thought. You know, I'll say this because like you, I'm a button and dial guy. Um, but when I got Canon's EOS M, and I was a very early adopter of that little camera, I fell in love with the touchscreen. I truly didn't expect to like the touchscreen. And now every time I'm shooting my 5D3, I like start tapping my finger on the <laughs> LCD of the camera saying, you know, I want, and again, Canon, are you listening? Hello. Um, yeah. I want that touchscreen on big boy cameras. Oh, absolutely. You know, that UI, there are times, absolutely. And, and, you know, this camera doesn't even have a viewfinder. So it's not like you can change, you say, oh, I want to change the shutter unless there's an EVF coming. But uh, it's like, I want to change the shutter speed while looking through the viewfinder. Um, I totally get that. But in this case, there's no <laughs> viewfinder mentioned. There, um, there is an EVF. Uh, oh, is there? EVF. Okay. Yeah, if you scroll down to the bottom of that Petapixel okay. article, there's, there shows another, one on there. For another $2,000? Oh, yeah, probably. Oh, I see it um, now. Okay. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with the touchscreen. I love touchscreen. When we get to my pick of the week, the camera that I'm choosing on there is all about the touchscreen, but it also has the dials and yeah. the ability to control, to modify which 
what dial does what and say, right, I use this function, whatever that may be. I'm going to assign that to this button, that dial, so that I can mm-hmm. make it truly my own. And that, I just, I love that. I absolutely love that I have that control. And yeah, the touchscreen is fantastic. Uh, and you're right. You pick up a Canon or a Nikon, it doesn't have it. And you're going, um, hello, uh, welcome to 2014. Where's my yeah. touchscreen? So, yeah, it's uh, it's great to have for sure. But I just, I still think too few dials on here, too few buttons. I don't know. Like I said, haven't used it. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but I'm not convinced. Right. Well, the guys who make those little, you know, glue-on grips for the Fuji cameras, maybe they'll make a glue-on button or two for the Leica. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I would love to check it out. Yeah, um, me too. Especially if they want to send one over, I'll be happy to um, to play with it. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not quite ready to put that kind of. I mean, I'm. I'm very happy with what I have right now, and which I find is you know pretty minimalist because I'm stuck with that 23 millimeter lens on my Fuji and I love it. So um, I'm, I'm not looking f- to replace that um, anytime soon, but but it's exciting and I, and I think it's the trend. I mean, we're gonna see more and more mirrorless and less and less of anything else. So um, I think it's about time everybody gets into that, um, into the, the mirrorless, mirrorless world and, um, and why would Leica wait any longer, so. Cool. Well, we'll see where that goes, and it'll be fun to see some reviews by um, by some photographers. And I know a lot of street photographers use Leicas. Actually, in the past two workshops, I've had some film uh, Leica shooters on my street photography workshop. So, um, so it's it's always fun, and it's really fun to see people still shoot film uh, when when we do um, street photography. So, um, so we'll see. This is the future. Anything else you want to add about this? Where's an icon in Canon's mirrorless? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I, I will say this. I was excited about when Canon announced the EOS 2 M2, um, but they it's an Asia-only camera, and I'm still trying to shake the tree with my friends over in Japan to get somebody to buy one and send it to me. But word is maybe with PhotoKeen in the fall that we'll actually see the EOS M3, and they'll just skip the two entirely for North American distribution because I love the form factor of that little mirrorless camera. It's about as big as a deck of cards. Um, it just doesn't like to focus very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like today. Okay, story number two. Lytro introduces the Ilum. We're not sure how to say it. Ilum. Ilum, Ilum, maybe? I don't know. It's I-L-L-U-M. A few years ago, Lytro introduced their light field camera with a very unique rectangular tube-shaped design. Do you guys remember that? Kind of looked mm-hmm. like a, a toy. Last week, Lytro unveiled their latest camera, the Ilum. According to their website, it is 40 mega ray customized sensor with Lytro's patent, patented micro lens array technology it unlocks the ability to capture the color intensity and direction of the light rays flowing into the camera this allows you to create imagery on a truly experiential canvas by capturing and harnessing the power of light field photographers can portray not just a cross-section of reality but an authentic interactive window into their world so other features include um Eight times optical zoom, which is an equivalent to 30 to 250 millimeter focal length, and a constant at a constant 2.0 aperture, and a 1 to 3 macro, a 4-inch touchscreen, 
a native resolution of 7728 by 5368 pixels and built-in Wi-Fi. The camera is available for pre-order and it's at an introductory price of $1,499. And everyone who pre-orders now has a chance to win their purchase along with a VIP photography experience, whatever that is. Owners of the first generation Lytro camera are also entitled to a 20% discount on this new camera. Um, uh, Joseph, uh, did, you, did you ever play with that first Lytro camera or not at all? The first one, no, actually, I didn't. How about this one? Not. Do you know anything about it? I do. You do? I do. Okay. I actually know quite a bit about it. Uh-oh. So it turns out most of, uh, most of the listeners probably know that I was in Hong Kong ooh, six weeks ago or so, something like that. Went out there for a little project. Didn't talk about what the project was because it was for Lytro. I was out in Hong Kong shooting with a Illum quite, uh, quite some time ago. So I've got quite a bit of experience with it, and it is an interesting piece of kit for sure. So what do you want to know? Well, everything. <laughs> tell us. Tell us all. It's a, it's a very interesting experience. The The camera, um, well, the one that I had wasn't quite the same build as what's being shipped as far as uh, how it felt in your hand and everything. And I have I have been able to hold the newest one to see what it felt like, and it's, uh, it's it feels really good, actually. The, it's very futuristic looking. It's kind of tilt, like... Tilted? Yeah, the way yeah. the body tilts forward, the way that the the lens, it's a big lens. I mean, the, yeah. the diameter of it's quite large. Uh, the way it fits in your hand is actually quite comfortable. Um, so I really yeah, commend them on the body shape. I think it is quite nice and quite comfortable to use. Uh, zoom and, and focus knobs on the lens, as you would expect, and they fall into very nice places in your hand. And it is a very interesting experience. So I'll say a couple things. The what you see on the marketing videos is um, very much showing a focus shift from kind of point A to point B. So if you were to take a photo of, you know, simplify it, look at your desk, you've got a keyboard, you've got a screen, you could do a photo where the keyboard's in focus, the screen is not, and then you can rack focus over time between the two. And that is what you see in a lot of the uh, the demo videos that you'll see out there. And I think that's a, it's an interesting first step, but I think that the real use of this camera, I think once real pros start getting their hands on it and are using it professionally, and I'll, and I'll say the photos that I did for them in Hong Kong have not been seen yet, and hopefully we'll get to see those in the future, and I think that the the way that I shot them is a little bit more in line with what, um, what I think the camera is for, and that is about telling the story of a very complex scene such as, well, the reason I went to Hong Kong was the markets in Hong Kong are you know, layers and layers and layers of story. Um, the telling the story of a complex scene in a whole new way. So if you think about a complicated, just look, imagine a table in front of you full of stuff that's for sale, a market, you know, a bunch of old watches or whatever. If you just take a picture of that whole table and everything's in focus, then it's too much information, right? You look at it and everything is sharp at once and it's overwhelming and instantly boring at the same time. We love depth of field. We love shallow depth of field because it allows us to focus on one thing. But if you're looking at that complex scene, what do you focus on, right? As the photographer, you can choose, okay, I'm going to focus on that watch and the rest of them are going to go out of focus or I'm going to focus on that fish on the fish table and the rest are going to go out of focus. But what if you want to show everything else in there? The only way you can really do that now is either a, with a regular camera, either a whole bunch of pictures or to do video, right? But this gives you a whole different option. You can freeze that moment of time and then over time, 
tell the story of that entire scene. And you can move the focus from the front of that table full of antique knickknacks across to the back. And instead of having to see the whole thing at once, over time you see a slice of it kind of passing down the table. And so you get the best of both worlds. You get the entire story and you get the isolation of that shallow depth of field. It allows you to really focus on a particular element for that brief moment as it passes through. And I think that the camera is going to be great for that sort of thing, storytelling of locations. I think travel photographers is going to be huge for that. I think it's a beautiful camera for that. And a wedding and event. I think any event, imagine a wedding where you've got, not the ceremony itself, but like the party. You've got you know, hundreds of people. There's layers and layers of people. And it's great, a nice photo in an event like that. It's going to have shallowed up the field. It shows whatever these guests, these wedding guests, and there's all this stuff happening behind them, but it's kind of out of focus. But what's happening behind them might actually be really interesting. And if you can capture all of that at once and rack the focus, rack that short, shallow depth of field plane of focus through the scene and show everything that's happening but not show it all at once, that's where I think the real power is. And that's what I think this camera is really for. Hmm. Okay. So this has one lens you can't take it off. That's all. That's It's a huge zoom, right? 30 to 250. Yeah, 30 to 250. Yeah, okay. zoom and it you know f2 all the way through so it's quite something to be shooting at 250 millimeters with an f2 aperture yeah so um, yeah, exactly yeah. i was gonna say and, and so the, the price seems pretty reasonable it's it's reasonable for what it is i think that most photographers need to figure out how to make it fit into their workflow this yeah. is by no stretch of the imagination going to replace anything in your in your arsenal right now it's a whole new thing and if you think of it as something to replace a piece of gear you're i think you're looking at it wrong um i think it's going to take some time but that's what the that's what the first camera was for, for people to kind of start getting ideas of what it could do. And, oh, if only this camera was better quality. Well, now it's better quality. Mm -hmm. right, now you've got a nice big image. And this the resolution, this 40 mega ray and 77 pixels, 100 pixels wide, which is like 40 megapixels, that's not – it's not accurate in the sense of I'm going to put a 40 megapixel image on the screen. It's – that's a – almost like a three-dimensional capture of data that's being measured. I really can't explain exactly how that pixel count works. I don't really get it. But you aren't seeing 7,000 pixels across at full sharpness like you would if you're shooting on a you know medium format camera or anything else. Uh, but it is giving you a massive amount of information. And keep in mind that the whole point of this is to see it on screen. There's no printing. I mean, you can print, but what's the point? Um, then it's stuck, right? You no longer have that refocus capability. So it's really a screen on screen viewing experience camera so you can create videos from it you can do those animations racking through focus and record them as videos and put those on youtube or whatever integrate them with other stills integrate them with live video there's a lot of things you can do like that but it is of course destined for the screen not for print so you've got way more than hd which is of course plenty and and it looks like a camera not like the original one that looked a little odd yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly have no idea what, what the reasoning was behind the shape of that first one. Maybe it was just to get attention. I don't know. Maybe it was just to do something different. But yeah, this one looks and feels more like a regular camera. Sil, is that something you're going to order? You know, week? I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it right now. If you pre-order, you can go on a <laughs> VIP experience. <laughs> With Joseph. Um, it could no, be. I, I don't know. I was, I was just doing the math. It's like 20% loyalty discount for first-generation Lytro camera owners. So I clicked over. It's like, well... That means you could like buy the first gen for two fifty, and you know almost get it for free if you buy the fifteen hundred dollar Alum. Um, I you know I love things like this. Um, I mean I've I've long loved Sigma's Fovian chip, which 
is a completely different chip than the one that virtually every digital camera, the bear pattern, used in you know the vast majority of. So you know, Lytro, I'd love to play with it, and you know, Joseph, I'm totally <laughs> envious that you got to shoot in Hong Kong. I think it's one of those things that. Truly, it's like you know you've got to you've got to change the way you think about photography. You really do. You've got to change you know literally from the experience of the world in front of you to the point where you say, "I'm going to extract my vision through the viewfinder." Now I'm going to find that decisive moment and push the shutter all the way through the workflow to the fact that, as you just said, Joseph, this is pretty much a screen-only experience. Right. Um, now, what I'm what I'm unclear about, Joseph, is when you're looking at these on screen, like if I went to an online gallery of your Lytro shots, can I focus them on the screen as I look at them? Can I yeah. rack yeah, through there's it? Yeah, a, there's a player that allows you to do that. Um, there was for the old one, and... I don't believe that the one for the new one is public yet, but the the one for the old one, yeah, you could put a player on your website and people could rack through the focus. But again, to me, that's a that's just a gimmick, right? Because yeah. I don't want the user to choose what to look at. That's my job. Right. I'm the right. photographer. I want to tell the story. So yeah. I'm capturing the image with the intention of this is a beautiful scene. I want to focus from A to B and everything in between there is something that's really interesting, but I don't want to shoot it all at once with a big depth of field because that'll be a boring image. Right. So yeah, you create that, that rack focusing experience. You create that, that kind of zoom and then record that as a video, basically output it as a video. And the other thing too, to keep in mind, I didn't mention is that it's, it's not just the focus that changes. There's actually a perspective shift that happens. It's a subtle shift, but the way that the the camera captures light. It's a kind of a three-dimensional space. It captures a a depth map at the same time as it captures the image. And if you're, you know, you're sitting at your desk right now, you've got your microphone and your screen in front of you. And if you rock your head side to side a couple of inches, the perspective shifts subtly. Uh, and you get the same thing can happen here. And you can control that. So you can not only zoom from the front to the back, zoom focus, I should say, you can change the perspective as well. So it is a very kind of matrixy type feel of a moment frozen in time and you're moving through it almost. Okay. Yeah, well, I look at it and cinematically, it's it's pretty cool to see the rack focus effect on screen in their demos. But like you, I have that control instinct and you know, I wanna say, all right, I'm gonna selectively focus and it is a different way of thinking that's why actually even though the first gen were really reasonably priced you know i say quite sincerely i saw them as toys rather than as tools um and i never i never you know went out and grabbed one to say okay i want to experience basically focusing in post rather than deciding where to focus in real time well part of that to you it is you're not only focusing in post you do still focus while you're shooting so you still choose a primary focus point and you have variation from there. And, um, you know, the closer you are then to the original subject, then the less variation you have in the end. But um, but you do still focus. It's not a fixed focus camera that you just go out and push the button and right. then worry about focus later. You do still have to focus on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm still wondering who this is for, um, but it... I, I would love to, I mean, just the video, and, and we'll link that to the show notes, um, the the short video that shows you how it works is, is pretty fascinating. It just goes against 
what I teach my students, you know, to put more intent into their photography and to really know what they want to tell before they press that shutter. Here, it seems like we're going reverse, like, okay, take the shot and then decide later, uh, which to me takes away the fun of still photography. Um, I mean, I always I already feel that with digital, people shoot way too much and are becoming a little sloppy uh, versus being more selective and, and putting more intent into their their um, their composition. And now it seems like it's it's kind of going against that again. Again, I don't know. I think if you're looking at it from the sense that you don't have to get it sharp or you don't have to get the angle right to begin with, then that's not really that's not the approach that the camera's yeah, made yeah. for, for sure. And like I said, you do still need to focus. You still want to have your primary point of focus that is, you know, one of your key elements to ensure that you have it sh as sharp as possible. And there's a, a depth map, depth preview that you have when you're watching it, when you're shooting with it, so you know what is going to be within the range of refocusing. And it's, I, I actually, I really do think that it requires more, quite a bit more thinking and planning than shooting with a regular camera because you're not saying, I'm going to focus on this one element and isolate it from everything else. You're saying, you're making the decision, I'm going to focus on this element with the intention of moving the focus from point A to point B. I want to make sure that either there's nothing in between or that there's everything in between and figuring out how you're going to tell that story before you ever push the button. So I actually kind of, it's contradictory to what you're saying. I think that it requires a bit more effort than what you had before. It's okay. closer to video, but it's shooting video in a single frame. It's a bizarre experience. And you really have to work with it to fully grasp it. But you are shooting time in a, in, you know, a brief second. It's, it's curious. It is very curious. It's very futuristic. I, um, I can also see it as a tool for teaching, you know, um, and, and, showing different composition and what what the strongest image would be and by switching the focus and so sure. forth you know it could be sure. a, a cool interactive uh, way to teach um i don't know we'll see wow that's exciting so it was a good trip for you oh yeah lots of fun yeah lots of great images i hope we get to see them yeah. i think that uh you know everything's still in development over there obviously the camera's not shipping yet and um and i think the desktop tools are um need a little, little catch up for kind of what I intended the way I shot them. So hopefully we'll get to see the images that I shot uh, sooner rather than later. So where does it use a, an SD card? What does yeah. it use? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Standard memory card. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm glad uh, you were on the show tonight. It's good time. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Story number three. A photographer pleads guilty for violating the Endangered Species Act. A Florida-based wildlife photographer and instructor is facing up to $9,000 in fines for vi violating the Endangered Species Act. Uh, Jim Niger, a wildlife photographer and instructor, was spotted, and I quote, eight times between 2010 and 2011, wedging his pontoon boat into the reeds next to the nest of snail kites, which is an endangered species, in hopes of drawing them out so that he and those he was teaching in his workshop would photograph them. The law that was broken is the Endangered Species Act, which requires people to stay at least 500 feet away from the nest of endangered species so as to not affect the young offspring. Okay, so that was a big no-no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
don't you think this guy who is a wildlife photographer and and educator um should have known better um uh, still we'll start with you yeah i don't i don't have a lot of sympathy <laughs> for this guy and i think nine thousand bucks is cheap um but look at it this way i mean his name and reputation is tarnished so there is really no price uh you know i don't, I don't know. know i i i i think things like this unfortunately happen all over the world every day um you know and particularly in the context of his his being an instructor i mean that really bugs me yeah um it, you know we're all teachers on this <laughs> show and it's like that's just not right that's that's perpetuating the problem um i mean you know, these are valuable. These animals are such valuable resources to our world. And to go out there and just park yourself on top of them, I mean, really, where where is, I'm not a bird photographer, but I often envy the lenses that they towed around, you know. Um, they measure the, not the focal length, but like the price tag in tens of thousands of dollars for some of those lenses they use. And I just wonder, it's like, why weren't you a safe distance away? I was going to say, why did he have to get you know? that close? <laughs> yeah. You know, get a longer lens and do it right. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, I don't have, uh, I don't have any sympathy. And um, as I said, I think $9,000 sounds really cheap um, because he did it, you know, eight times at least according to yeah. the show notes. Yeah, and I'm surprised that that didn't even, you know, some of the workshop participants didn't complain. Sooner. Oh, I'm sure there are some of the ones who turned him in. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Oh, that, yeah. yeah he I don't did have get the... off easy because the standard sentence I'm reading here is a year in prison and a $100,000 fine, which frankly seems a bit more appropriate. Yes. Oh, it's that high. Okay. So, mm. wow. Yeah, he got off really easy then because it's his up to 9000 For all we know, he'll be, you know, done with 1200 bucks and on his way to doing it again. Hopefully not. Um, but yeah, that, that, when when we touching wildlife like that, that just makes me really angry as well. Um, so where do you draw the line between getting the shot and and risking your life or someone else's or, or or like this? I mean, there there are so many other yeah example that we could think of. Um, I mean, no shot is worth risking wildlife or risking somebody's safety i mean I, I i say that all the time i mean i shoot street photography and uh and i always tell my students if the situation feels unsafe just move on you know no picture is worth risk risking your safety no matter what and um and here it's bringing a group of people you know to abuse wildlife to get the shot so um, what do you think about that, Joseph? Is there any other instances you can think of that? Um, well, sure. I, th I think saying, yeah, I think saying that there's no shot that's worth it is is a bit much because there certainly are shots that are worth risking your life. If you're talking about like war photographers, you know, war photographers yeah. are risking their life all the time, and they're reporting on very important things that the world needs to see. And unfortunately, a lot of them, you know, get killed in action, and that's that's part of the risk of doing that. And they're taking a risk and knowing they're doing it, but they're doing it because they believe in what they're doing. Now, shooting wildlife, uh, you know, a bit different. And here, obviously, no one, no humans, risking their life. They are risking the long-term life of of an endangered species, and that's kind of the whole point of it being called an endangered species. So stay the heck away from it. It's you know, this guy had no excuse. As Sil said, he should have known better. There's no excuse, no pity for him at all. Uh, 
you know, just knock it off. Come on, people. This is, you know, let's use our heads out there. There's plenty of other things to photograph. And, uh, yeah, you could have done it in a different way. Still captured the same type of image or the same animal and just done it differently, gone about it differently. So clearly he's just, I wouldn't even say he made a stupid mistake because he did it nine times. So he's just an idiot. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and I know that that's happened in other instances, like people photographing the polar bears and getting way too close and, and not only, you know, putting their life in danger, obviously, but, but really, um, it's disrespectful to, to nature. And, um, yeah, that, that just makes me sick as well. Well, I guess we all agree. Uh, the fine is not high enough. <laughs> he would have charged him more. So stay away from uh, from those little snail kites. Okay. Um, before we jump into our listener Q&A segment, we would like to thank another one of our sponsors for this episode of TWIP, and that is Lynda.com. This episode is brought to you by Lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com. You can learn what you want, when you want, with high-quality video tutorials at lynda.com. And Lynda gives you everything you need to improve your skills. Lynda offers a variety of instruction. You can learn software, creative business skills, photography techniques, web design, and more. They have over 2,000 courses and over 100,000 tutorials. They offer courses for all levels, and they add new courses each and every day. Their courses are taught by industry experts, and their instructors are accomplished professionals that are at the top of their fields and passionate about teaching. Linda's courses are high-quality video productions, and the videos are made in state-of-the-art studios. They use screenshots, narration, live action, smart boards, charts, graphics, and audio. No homemade YouTube videos here. Linda.com courses are convenient. You can take them anytime from your computer, your tablet, or your mobile device. Each Linda.com course is structured so that you can learn from start to finish or just jump to in to find a quick answer. You can quickly search transcripts to easily find the information you're looking for. And for one low monthly price of $25, they give you unlimited access to the entire course library. You can start improving your skills with a free seven-day trial, including unlimited access, at lynda.com slash twip. And you can show your support for This Week in Photo at lynda.com slash twip. We thank lynda.com for their support. Linda.com, what do you want to learn today? It's time for some listener Q&A, and this is the segment where we answer a question that has been on the top of some of our listeners' mind. And today, it's a question by Gigi Embrex from our Google Plus community page. Um, so she says that she's just starting a photography business as of last year, and she's been shooting for about six years. She knows what she wants to shoot. It's a queen and rural lifestyle, so horses. Um, but uh, her problem is that she lives six months in Europe and six months in the U.S. Doesn't seem like a big problem to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what she's trying to do is to, to come up with a business model that would work uh, for this type of lifestyle. Also, she does not speak the language where she lives with her husband. So I don't know if that's... If that's in Europe or in the States, that's unclear. Uh, but anyways, she would like some ideas on how to handle this. So she is new at this. She's trying to build her business. In, um, she wants to photograph horses and, and, and rural lifestyle. And she spent six months in the U.S., six months in Europe. 
Um, Joseph, what would you do if you were in her shoes? Well, step one would be, would be to learn the language where you're <laughs> going to live for half of the rest of your life. I think that would be a, a very good first step. But we'll assume that that's going to happen. Um, you know, obviously, we, we don't know how, how good of a photographer she is. So it's really hard to say what she can do if she's, you know, versus whether she's a very basic amateur photographer, not terribly good and not per- terribly accomplished or in her shooting in the last six years, she's become better than the, you know everybody on this panel combined. We just don't know. So let's assume that she's reasonably good, uh, maybe not the best and certainly not the worst, but somewhere in the middle. So she's got stiff competition, right? And I think if you're going to build up a business, you want to stay put for a while and build up the business with local customers that can get to know you. Uh, granted, what she wants to shoot is pretty specific, so maybe she can get away with not being there all the time. Um, Hopefully the seasons, I don't know what the seasons would be for her type of photography, but hopefully the seasons will coincide with where she's going to be when she's going to be there. And, you know, if there's a, I don't know, a race season or training season or whatever it is that goes along with horse photography, that she can kind of coordinate that. But getting, it doesn't make much of a difference where you are. Getting involved in your local community, getting known in your town is a huge part of this. And I think that's going to be the first step to building any successful business is getting known locally. You got to get known where you are. And she's going to have the challenge because she's only going to be there half the time. But, you know, like you said, that doesn't sound too awful to me. I think I'd, <laughs> I'd make the best out of that. <laughs> How about you, Sil? What would you do? No, I, th- I think that's all right on, um, you know, right on track with my thoughts. The only thing I can layer into this is the idea that it's so easy for us to make photographs that seem exotic to others if we photograph things that the others don't know about. And what I'm looking at is like, well, maybe part of her marketing strategy is that she markets her European-based photos to an American market, to American media, and she markets her American photos to European media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, letting mm-hmm. letting those folks overseas who often have, you know, if they have a, a media need, they need shots for a magazine article or whatever. Um, you know, oftentimes they don't know those who to hire locally and they have to go through agents and, and whatnot. And so it seems like if you're in Europe and you're photographing European equestrian events, yeah, maybe there's a local market for that, but maybe there's actually a bigger market for that over here in the United States and vice versa just because it's going to look more exotic instead of like, oh, another photographer shooting the same old stuff. Yeah. Well, I know from experience like that. that it's going to be easier to uh, open a bit, to start a business in the U.S. than it would be in Europe. And people are willing to spend more money uh, in the U.S. than they are in Europe. So she may be better off, you know, really um, targeting the U.S. market when she's here and the other six months, you know, learn whatever language it is and and really work on her marketing and building a portfolio because that can't hurt. I mean, she can go shoot some events or whatever in, in either country and 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 um, work on her her techniques and her style and, and build her portfolio when she's not shooting for clients, too. So um, but yeah. Uh, good luck. I think uh, I think it's exciting. And even if she ends up working in only one of the two countries, well, enjoy the other one during the other six months <laughs> or, or, you know, or try something else. But um, but I think, yeah, definitely learning the language will uh, will help get customers, too. So um, I think that would also be on my uh, on the top of my list. 
one more thing I'll add in there. We don't. She doesn't say here whether she's American, going to be living in Europe, or she's European, going to exactly. be living in America. Mm-hmm. But um, whatever your home country is, it'll probably be easier to get your business established there. And just keep in mind things like taxes, tax uh, obligations, and right to work. You know, visas and um, business licenses and all that sort of thing. And just make sure that you, if you're going to have one business in one location, that you aren't spending too much time in the other country or making too much money in the other country um, to avoid you know, any tax problems. So just be aware of all that. The business tax stuff is complicated enough when you're in one country. Splitting your business across two can certainly get more complicated. So just do your homework. Uh, make sure you've got good, um, a good understanding of the laws where you're working and where you're paying your taxes and so on. True. It sounds more and more like working just six months of the year would be the way to go. <laughs> well, would, wouldn't we wouldn't all like to nice? work six months of the year? <laughs> well, uh, good luck. I hope this helps and uh, be nice to know how this turns out. Um, before we jump into the picks of the week, we would like to thank another one of our sponsors for this episode of TWIP, and that is FreshBooks.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution that's built for small business owners just like you. For a limited time, you can try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, just visit getfreshbooks.com and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And it's tax time. If you're not using FreshBooks, your life is probably a mess right now. You're hunting for receipts. You're digging through invoices, going through every record one by one. It's the worst. FreshBooks is a simple cloud accounting solution that makes tax time a breeze. And with FreshBooks, you can create professional-looking invoices, capture and track expenses, and get real-time business reports with just a few simple clicks. Plus, you can work anywhere with FreshBooks using their mobile apps for your phone and tablet. And I use FreshBooks personally to manage the This Week in Photo universe by because you know it's kind of a one-man band here, managing all the expenses and the invoicing and the clients and all advertisers, all that stuff. So FreshBooks is the back end to everything on This Week in Photo. It automatically invoices advertisers, it invoices everything, keeps everything in track, and when I need to run reports for tax time, it's a few simple clicks, and boom, I'm done. I don't have time, I wanna be a photographer, I wanna be out shooting, so FreshBooks makes it easy for me to just get everything done. And it's uh, it's it's just a great service, it's a godsend for getting things done as a very thin operation in terms of headcount. Um, and you know, for me, if I, if I had known about FreshBooks when I first started this week in photo, a ton of headaches would have just gone away. I mean, we receive invoices from people using FreshBooks. So they, you know, when, when we send things out, they look professional, we get paid online. So there's no hassle of mailing checks or anything crazy like that. So FreshBooks is awesome. And like I said at the beginning, for a limited time, you can try FreshBooks for free for 60 days. Just get started at getfreshbooks.com and enter this week in photo in the how did you hear about us section. And right now, FreshBooks is giving our listeners and viewers an extended 60-day free trial just to make sure you can get through tax time 
in a breeze. They're trying to make everything easy for you. So head over to getfreshbooks.com, enter this week in photo in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up and enjoy and make sure you know, you tell them that this week in photo sent you. Okay, let's jump into our Picks of the Week segment. Remember, your pick can be anything as long as it is photography-related. Syl, what uh, what do you have for us this week? So I had the great fortune to be in Phoenix over the Easter week, and I went to, as I always try to, the Phoenix Art Museum because they have a miniature version of the Center for Creative Photography, which is a great resource in Tucson, Arizona. And so there's always great photo exhibitions at the Phoenix Art Museum. And being a book guy, I was absolutely in love with the show that's hanging right now. It's called The Process in the Page, Developing Photographic Books. And it is an opportunity to see literally the entire process. I mean, there's books by Ansel Adams and Paul Strand and Richard Avedon and and Gene Smith and many other artists. Uh, Robert Heineken is another one that comes to mind. And you see everything from like the little maquettes, the little paper books that they hand draw or little maquettes that they... And these are books that were done in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. So, you know, we take, at least as a book designer, I take a lot of it for granted saying, oh, yeah, it's really easy in the digital world. (laughs) And think about what did they do 40 years ago? I mean, there's – and even there's correspondence between um, Ansel Adams and Beaumont Newhall and, you know, stuff from 60, 70, 80 years ago all on display, the books, the maquettes, um, the actual books. So they've got, like, you know, pristine versions under the, the under the uh, acrylic covers and the display cases. And then they have working versions. So if you're not familiar with the work, you can flip through the book. And then they have, of course, master prints on the walls. And it's just, it was an amazing afternoon. So if you find yourself in Phoenix, Arizona, between now and the middle of August, head to the Phoenix Art Museum and check out the process and the page developing photographic books. Awesome. Thank you. Joseph, what do you have? Well, I've got two because the first one I really wanted to get into a bit more and I didn't have time. So I'm just going to tell you what it is without having any actual experience with it. But it's a new website called Crated, C-R-A-T-E-D, Crated. And it is a new online marketplace for selling photos. And I've read the article and we'll put that article in the show notes. It was up on Petapixel. And basically, this is another place for photographers to upload their photos and sell prints. But apparently, the way that they've put this together is really, really well done. And it's very much, it's not one of these places that was a gallery and now it's selling prints or it was designed as as a place to sell prints, but it doesn't really look very nice. Apparently, the whole end-to-end process has been very, very well thought out. It's got a great pedigree of people behind it. And it looks and sounds fantastic. I wanted to sign up for an account. you can sign up for an account now. I think the site opens in sometime next month so you can get things up and running. And I planned on doing that before the show, but I didn't have time to. So I can't give you any actual hands-on experience, but it does look very, very nice. So crated.com, be sure to check that out. So my real pick of the week is going to be a camera, the Panasonic GX7 Micro Four Thirds camera. I don't know if you guys are shooting Micro Four Thirds, but oh my God, I'm in love. I've been shooting with uh, the Olympus OMD EM5, I think that's right, for quite some time now. Absolutely love it. Love the format. Love the camera. This Panasonic GX7 is so much cooler. It's got uh, great features overall. The touchscreen is fantastic. But one of the greatest things about it is it's built-in Wi-Fi and the ability to connect to 
your iPad or your iPhone or Android device or whatever, and not only view the photos and copy them over, but totally control the camera. And so I just put a post, a blog post up on photojoseph.com slash blog, and you'll see the last couple of posts on there talking about this. And one of the things I did for a commercial shoot, uh, just a small project, just shooting some interiors for a local um, home designer, home builder. And, you know, if you're shooting an interior, you really need to rearrange the furniture just right and make sure that everything is in the best place and that you can see everything well in the photo. And if it's a big room, that's a lot of running back and forth to the camera as you move a couch, run back and check it and so on. I was able to look through the viewfinder on my iPad and walk around the room rearranging furniture while looking at my iPad to see how the placement worked. And it was fantastic. It saved so much time in the shoot. It was just such a great way to work and a great experience. And I could even trigger the camera from the iPad fire off the photos and then, you know, just hide behind a door, push the button, fire off a photo and then pull it over and look at it on the big screen on the iPad again, all without having to run back and forth to the I, camera. I thought you'd say you'd, you'd trigger it while you're lying on the sofa. To be exactly. Trigger it while lying on the sofa. Right. Is that kind of a shit? You know, just like you know, <laughs> <so selfie>. luxurious. <laughs> the ultimate selfie. Um, but it was it's a great a camera. I just, I am so in love with this camera. Awesome. Now, Syl, do you, do you shoot mirrorless or micro four thirds yet or? I don't shoot micro four thirds. Um, I can't get that math to work in my head. So, um, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah, I, I, I stuck out, I stood on the sidelines for my, for, for mirrorless for a long time. And then, as I mentioned earlier in the show, when Canon came out with their EOS M, I grabbed one very right. early on, and yeah, you know that camera is slow to focus, but I fell in love immediately with the touchscreen capability. I actually love the fact, as a Canon speed lighting guy, that I can put a speed light transmitter on the top of this dinky little camera. Often the transmitter is as big as a camera, <laughs> and control the entire speed light system by touch on the back of the camera. I took it to Cuba last year when I was down there with Santa Fe Workshops, and did a lot of photography you know it's not a good street photographer's camera Zach Arias was down there with his Fujis and you know we compared and of course you know focusing is you got to focus quickly for for good street photography but for those kind of wait for it moments I love that camera and here's what I love the most about it as I said earlier the body is about the size of a deck of playing cards you put the 22 millimeter lens on the front of it it drops in the pocket of my baggy shorts um, it's about two, it's like two thirds or half the size of the Fuji that's everybody's in love with. Uh -huh. And I love that small form factor, um, because that means that it's in my pocket when other, I don't like to hang cameras around my neck. If I, particularly like if you're cruising around Havana Vieja at night, um, it was kind of nice to be able just to drop the camera in my pocket. And then when we saw interesting things, pull it out. And the only thing I had to complain about it was the focus time. So I'm eagerly awaiting um if i'd known you were going to hong kong joseph i'd have sent you some money to bring me back an m2 but hopefully <laughs> if the rumors are correct with photokina um we'll see an m3 with an even faster focusing system next fall and i would definitely love to be on the front line of that cool so what is the the sensor size in there it's an aps-c sensor it's aps-c okay yeah it's so basically this is this is um, if, if I have my Rebel models right, this is like a, a T4i or T5 crammed into the body, you know, a box that's the size of a deck of playing cards. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those interesting points that you get into discussions with people about mirrorless all the time. And you've got um, the Micro Four Thirds on the smaller side. And then you've got right. the Fuji with the APS-C and now this Leica APS-C. And then the Sony A7, which is an absolutely brilliant camera. 
and the bodies are you know appropriately larger because of the larger sensor, but they're still a lot smaller than their mirrored counterparts. But the kind of challenge that I see, the problem that I see with that is that these the Fuji cameras, as fantastic as they are, yes, the body is smaller, but the lenses aren't that much smaller than full-frame 35 uh, DSLR lenses are. And on the case of the Sony, they're not any smaller because they are full-frame DSLR lenses, yeah. right? The Sony is a full-frame sensor. And so, yeah, okay, great, the body weighs half as much, but who cares when you're putting on a lens that weighs four times as much as the body to begin with? It just doesn't make that big of a difference. And even on this Canon EOS M, it takes the same lenses, right? It takes all the same lenses you already have, which, yes, that's convenient. Yes and, yes and no. There is okay. – um, so the EOS M has – it's an M mount. It is a brand new mount for Canon. And so, for instance, my favorite lens is a 22 – it's like a little pancake. It's a 22 millimeter um, – it's, it's called an EFM mount. 22 millimeter F2, um, really tiny. So you get the lenses – if you shoot the lenses that were designed for the M series, they're tiny and small. They're about, I want to say they're like two and a half inches in diameter. Um, okay. And the 22 millimeter lens is probably three quarters of an inch thick or thereabouts. Um, and there's also a zoom in the system. There's other lenses that are available overseas that aren't yet available here in the U.S. So you have your choice. You can get an adapter that will allow you to put your standard EOS lenses that you may have onto the M body. But I have never found a situation where I really wanted to do that because if I wanted to shoot the big clunky lens, then I'd shoot the big clunky body to go with that big clunky right. lens. That's how right. I feel too, yeah. And and uh, when, I, when I was using actually my DSLR still for street photography, I, I put the 40 millimeter pancake lens on it just so that it would be less conspicuous. And now... Uh, shooting with mirrorless, well, the Fuji, I don't have any choices. It's that small 23 millimeter lens that's I can't remove. And uh, but I was shooting other mirrorless systems, and my favorite lens was always the like the pancake lens, the 30 millimeter lens. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, they come with yeah, you, you're right, like big heavy lenses. What's the point of having a small body behind it? It's actually awkward. I feel it, mm -hmm. it's better to have a big lens on a big camera body <laughs> it just fits better but having those really really big lenses on those tiny camera bodies that you can't even see behind the lens to me feels really awkward as well yeah, yeah. that's why I'm, that's why i'm so patient about this because i think the m form factor for canonistas is great um and i love the fact that it's an aps-c sensor that's one of the things that kept me out of the micro four thirds i'm just a big <laughs> sensor guy um, yeah, you know, I I don't disagree with you at all. That's that was my approach as well. And then I started using the OMD, and I thought I was very fortunate. I got a friend of mine who collects cameras loaned me a bag full of gear, and um, one of the cameras was the OMD, the Micro Four Thirds. And I was convinced right away. I almost didn't take it out of the bag. I'm not going to like it. It's you know tiny sensor. Yeah, um, I'm a big sensor snob. And then I started using it, and oh my god. I mean, it absolutely fell in love. It's not just the usability of the camera, but that is a huge part of it. The image quality is fantastic, and it really is a very enjoyable experience and a very, very good quality image that comes out of it. And I don't miss the bigger sensor like I thought I would. Yeah. You know, you have lenses that are designed for it. You get the beautiful bokeh. Um, it's fantastic. And, you know, my my little bag now that I carry around when I'm going on a shoot, that if I don't need the Canons, which is less and less now, mm -hmm. it's this – it's tiny. I wish we were on video so I could show you how small this bag is. And basically, you know how big an iPad mini is. The iPad mini fits in this bag, and it's only slightly bigger than that. 
And then yeah. obviously it's got some depth to it. And in that little bit of depth, I can have two bodies and three lenses and my wallet and phone and other junk in there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two, ca- two camera bodies, three lenses, an iPad, and your other stuff that goes with you everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's the bag weighs nothing. It's incredible. It's such a wonderful way to go out and shoot. I just, I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I I don't miss the heavy gear either. Um, so I think we're in a it's a pretty exciting time. We have all definitely a lot of cool stuff coming out. Great. Oh, and my pick of the week is actually an ebook, Portraits. Oh, excuse me, Portraits of Strangers, uh, over at Peach Pit, and it was written by our friend Ibarion X Perello, who is the host of the Candid Frame podcast, and it's only ten dollars. The great actually, it's a it's a pretty big ebook, um, and uh, lots of anything you want to know about making portraits of strangers, from you know how to approach them to the legalities, whatever um, you know, the choice of camera and so forth. Very well done, and it um, particularly resonated with me because that's something I teach, and also with the Arcanum, my um, my apprentices are, are are working on street photography and doing street portraits as well as candid photography. So um, this is a really great resource for only ten dollars over at Peach Pit, um, and I will link it to the show note. Okay, well, um, this brings us to the end of another episode. Um, and so, Sil, where can people go to find to, to keep up with you? Yep, the best place to find me on the web is my blog, which is Pixelated. That's P as in Paul, I-X, S as in Sam, Y-L-A-T-E-D, pixelated.com. Awesome. And uh, Joseph? For me, it's photojoseph.com and apertureexpert.com. Great. And for me, it's valeriejardinphotography.com, all in one word. And be sure to visit our website over at thisweekinphoto.com. Or if you want to touch base with Frederick Van Johnson when he's back from Middle Earth, you can find him at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. Weekend Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.